From 12 News, this is Newsmakers. Welcome to Newsmakers, I'm Tim White. The most common question we get into 12 News right now is about the COVID-19 vaccine. People wanna know, when can I get the vaccine? When can my grandparents get the vaccine? How come the age limit is set to 75 and not 65 here? Well, today we hope to tackle many of those questions based on where our reporting stands right now. First, to set the stage on this topic, I wanna play an interview with Dr. James McDonald from the Rhode Island Department of Health. My colleagues, Kim Kalunian and Brian Yacono interviewed Dr. McDonald live on 12 News at 4 on Thursday, and questions about the vaccine were first on their list. We were just talking with our Eli Sherman about this, um, but the state's attorney general now looking into whether there were any legal violations in the distribution of the vaccine. After low-risk folks, people like board members, trustees at the state's two largest hospital groups, were offered the shot. So can you help us understand what went wrong there? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. We had some conversations. They've been good partners so far. Um, sometimes when you have conversations with partnerships, it's great. And you sometimes have a little course correction. I think that's positive. I think that's important. You know, one thing about the vaccine is we, we all want the same thing, right? You know, in other words, we're all looking for it. But line jumping isn't going to be helpful. And I think it's just important for people to have perspective about we really want to target the high-risk individuals right now, those in nursing homes, assisted living, getting the healthcare providers going. So I just getting everybody on the same page was good. After some conversations, the hospitals made some changes. We have outpatient providers now getting vaccine, which really helps our workforce stay healthy. So I think that's a positive. So I think some good's coming out of this. And I think as we work on our partnerships, a lot of folks know this with partnerships. Once in a while, you have to have conversations that are helpful and constructive. And this is what I'm seeing. We were also just reporting about a state representative wants to see people potentially criminally charged if they skip the line. Do you think that's necessary or do you think not having to punish people criminally is, is the best answer? Yeah, I don't know that criminally charging people is really going to be helpful. You know, I think one of the things we have to have perspective about is this has been a stressful population trauma for all of us and people are acting out and, and it's understandable a little bit of grace and mercy goes an awful long way with people i do think it underscores though that we all need to respect being in line is a good thing you know i, I just throw this out to you if you've ever been on an airplane and ever gone anywhere you know if you want to get on a plane do it orderly if you want to get off a plane you do it orderly and i think when you do these things orderly it works better for everybody and you know keep in mind we're all getting to the same destination Within three, four, five months, everybody's gonna have a vaccine who wanted one. And I think we just have to be more thankful that we have a vaccine and less upset about things in general. I think it's gonna calm us all down a little bit and be better for us in the long run. Because quite frankly, a year ago, did any of us even think we'd be having two vaccines to fight over? I don't think so. So I actually think we're in a pretty good position, but I don't think criminally charging people, I don't think that's helpful right now. Thankful and orderly. Mm. We can remember those yes. two points. All right, President Biden's warden yesterday, as we know, his goal is to get 100 million people vaccinated in the next 100 days. So do you think this will result in Rhode Islanders getting more doses? And if so, how quickly would that all happen? Yeah, I, I sure hope so. I've been reading a lot of nice things today about what's coming out of the Biden administration, that, you know, mask mandate, that was great to see. Also about, you know, maybe a better vaccine plan for the nation would be a great idea. And quite frankly, our vaccine distribution hasn't increased since the beginning. 
and we expected it to increase. So we have questions. And I, I think we're looking for, you know, where is the rest of this vaccine? And we're hearing a lot of things from across the country, so we have questions. And I think it's important that those questions be answered and that Rhode Islanders know that we're fighting hard to get them as much vaccine as possible as quick as we can. Um, so I'm optimistic we're gonna have a better future. I'm hearing the right things. I'm hearing science, data, and reason is going to govern the thought process, and we're gonna actually do our best to help people at highest risk. That's Dr. Jim McDonald from the Rhode Island Department of Health with props and all. I'm joined now in studio by 12 News Politics editor Ted Nisi and live via Zoom by Target 12 investigator Eli Sherman. Eli's joining us because he has been doing a lot of reporting uh, on the vaccine rollout in the region. You can catch it on WPRI.com right now. Eli, let's dive right in. And I want to start this conversation with a question we got into 12 responds on WPRI.com. And I think it's, it's a good way to kick things off. Zavin writes to us, I'm 82 years old and live at home alone. When will I be able to get the vaccine? Uh, Eli, what do you say to him? So the best guess right now is sometime in the middle of next month, February. Uh, health officials said yesterday that um, the, the prioritization for adults 75 years and older who live at home will begin getting vaccinated sometime around the middle of next month. Of course, adults who are older than 75 right now living in nursing homes are already getting the shots, but this is specifically for folks like him who are, are living at home at this time. And we should point out uh, that we are talking to you on a Friday morning and you just listened to the Rhode Island COVID-19 subcommittee and uh, they had some news on the next group of people that will receive the vaccine. What did you learn, Eli? Yeah, so the, the short answer is that everyone basically over the age of 16 is in this phase two group. Um, but that doesn't mean that everyone's gonna be eligible immediately after they start. The subcommittee, which is offering uh, recommendations up to a steering committee that makes the ultimate decisions, has uh, said that adults 65 years and older will uh, get prioritized first. And then uh, after that, it will be based on age and underlying health conditions going down from 65. Um, and throughout that entire list of people uh, will be a consideration of um, underlying health conditions and geography where you live, because obviously there have been some communities that have been harder hit than others in Rhode Island. Um, notably absent from the decision-making that we saw today, was any consideration given to occupation. So there had been some discussion about whether or not uh, folks should be considered for what job they do. You know, a lot of talk about teachers and grocery store workers. As it stands right now, that will not be included in the uh, prioritization list for phase two. Eli, uh, you know, you and I have spent a lot of time last week looking through the data on vaccine distribution, the supplies coming into Rhode Island, how to display that. You've done a great job with the charts as you have all year on WPRI.com. I think one thing that, that we keep coming back to as we talk with people about this is that to me, it's an Econ 101 problem here where there's only 14,000 currently first doses a week coming into Rhode Island. And for a state of 1.057 million people, that's going to take a very long time to be able to vaccinate a lot of folks. Did you get any sense either from that meeting you were at today or other conversations you've had with health officials for your reporting in recent days? Have they had any indication from CDC that that 14,000 a week supply to Rhode Island again on first doses is, is going to go up anytime soon or are they just waiting to find out? Yeah, I think you heard it uh, from from Dr. McDonald there at the top. There 
they're anxious, obviously, to be getting more of the vaccine. And as it stands right now, there's no indication that they'll be getting more than the 14,000 first doses that you uh, just mentioned. To give people some sort of concept of what that means, it's about 2,000 people per day at best can get uh, a first dose of the vaccine. So it moves quite slowly here. You know, the biggest hope uh, right now, I think, is that um, either there's a boost in manufacturing somewhere uh, in the supply chain so that more of this vaccine can get out, or, um, you know, there are other vaccines that are currently in the pipeline in terms of being considered to be approved by the FDA. Um, if those, you might have heard some of them like Johnson & Johnson, if those can come online um, and get approved, then obviously that too would increase the amount of vaccine that the state would get and ultimately speed up this process. And Eli, not to put you on the spot, because I don't know if you have it right in front of you, but uh, do you recall off the top of your head roughly how many people, as we tape this Friday morning, uh, have been fully inoculated two doses, and then how many more, how many have gotten just a first dose? Sure. So as of yesterday, I believe it was about 12,500 people had been fully vaccinated. And for first dose folks, I think it was about 38 thousand people uh, for a grand total of just over 50,000 doses uh, or people having received a dose uh, a sh at least one shot of the vaccine so far in Rhode Island for for context of course Rhode Island's population size is about a million people yeah well you have to Eli subtract the snowbirds going to Florida over the winter from that population count look you were talking about um, you know the doses coming into Rhode Island you and I before the show were talking about how Rhode Island compares to other states in the country in terms of vaccine rollout because we get emails from people. Why is New Hampshire getting more doses than Rhode Island? You took a per capita look uh, at how many doses have uh, come into Rhode Island. How do we compare to other states in the country? Yeah, we're, we're actually relatively high as it stands right now. The CDC is offering some pretty good data in terms of how much they're distributing to states and territories uh, across the country. And Rhode Island is probably in the top 15 uh, at this moment. Of course, that could change in any given um, week. And, and of course, it's on a per capita basis. Um, how that compares in, Rhode, in, in New England is that we're right in the middle of the pack um, with Massachusetts and New Hampshire receiving less than we do on a per capita basis, while Vermont, uh, New Hampshire, and Connecticut are receiving slightly more. Eli, we have to talk about uh, controversy, and you, it was alluded to with Dr. McDonald there, which is uh, we learned uh, from uh, per initially from some great reporting by Brian Amaral over the Providence Journal, and then you've been following up uh, with your own reporting that some board members at Lifespan and Care New England, the big hospital groups, did receive the vaccine, and while you know there's folks defending it uh, many people at home we're getting a lot of emails from people who, who don't think that's right uh, considering they aren't obviously treating frontline workers in the covid unit uh, what what are we hearing are are they defending that are they saying it you know they made a mistake yeah obviously something that has frustrated a lot of people um, and as you know, the, the first people who got the vaccine in Rhode Island were healthcare workers, frontline healthcare workers who have um, really, you know, borne the brunt of this uh, pandemic treating COVID patients for, what is it, 10 months now. Um, and so they were given the vaccine first. 
the the protocols the guidelines given to the hospitals by the state perhaps weren't as clear as they could have been um you know there's some discussion about that right now but the the president and ceo of care new england james finale came dr james finale you know he had an interview yesterday where he very much defended uh, the practice of offering vaccines to board members who he described as volunteers uh, who who have spent hours working with the hospital and made operations happen. Um, you know, that argument's gonna fall short on a lot of people who see those types of people as not actually working with patients at all, not having any direct contact with COVID, but still getting an opportunity to, to get vaccinated ahead of, you know, older adults with underlying health conditions who are at the highest risk of dying. Um, so I expect moving forward, there's going to be a lot more of this type of controversy that pops up about who gets this vaccine first with so many people wanting it. Yeah, you know, I, I got to agree with you. We are already getting emails from people, as, as Ted pointed out, who are very antsy, Eli, about, oh, you know, so-and-so so is cutting the line or, or whatever it might be. Um, but you did talk about one of the big factors that they, you know, occupation is not going to be a big factor in the next phase. What is underlying health conditions? If someone walks into a clinic and says, hey, I have this high risk condition, so I should get the vaccine. Are they going to check that out? That's a great question, uh, Tim. And something that came up briefly during the, the subcommittee meeting this morning. Um, yeah, it, it, you raise a good question. How do you tell if someone's got cancer if, if there are no signs um, other than taking them by their word? I, I think the logistics of this, um, you know, we're hearing that phase two is probably at best guess going to happen sometime between March and April. Uh, so they have a couple months to fine tune this. But you know, there was some discussion about possibly doing vaccines through specialty clinics. You know, those are uh, healthcare providers who already are, are um, providing care to people who have high risk health condition, underlying health conditions. So that would be one way to verify it. But, you know, immediately that raises the question of how you get to people with uh, high risk underlying health conditions who aren't being um, provided care at a specialty clinic. So definitely a lot of questions need to be asked in these next couple months about how this will work to you know, ensure that people are not taking advantage of whatever system rolls out. Ted, we have just over a minute left here and I have, actually have a question for you again as we tape this on a Friday morning. Last night, Senate Finance Committee, you covered that and you learned a little bit about the rather large tab the state has for COVID-19 response. Yeah, this was one of the updates they've been giving on uh, how much money has been budgeted or spent uh, so far in Rhode Island to deal with COVID-19. And, and at this point, it's at $1.8 billion, a huge amount of money. Um, I see Eli uh, on the screen there with my name on him. <laughs> um, <laughs> the, uh, it's, it's a lot of money. And the interesting thing, Tim, is they are having a little trouble nailing down exactly which stream of funding is going to cover what because uh, you have grants coming in from the federal government. You have that $1.25 billion pot of money they got. Then you have FEMA reimbursement because it's also a declared disaster. So um, there, there's a lot of work is going to have to be done to figure out how to cover it all and where it comes from. There's plenty of money, but matching the money to the cost is going to be challenging. So it sounds like the legislature is going to get much more involved than they had been uh, last year on this. All right, we're going to take a break here. Eli Sherman, great job on tracking the vaccines. Uh, catch his work on WPRI.com. When we come back, Ted Nisi's interview with U.S. Senator Jack Reed. Stay with us. You're watching Newsmakers.
Welcome back to Newsmakers. I'm Tim White. Just a few hours after Joe Biden took the oath of office, Ted Nisi spoke with Senator Jack Reed, who was at the inauguration. They talked about the day itself and what Reed expects in the coming weeks with a reshaped U.S. Senate. Here now is Ted Nisi's interview with Jack Reed. Senator Jack Reed, as always, thanks for taking the time to talk with us, especially on a busy inauguration day. By my count, um, I just fact-checked this with you before we started. This is the eighth presidential inauguration you've attended since you went to Congress, and obviously a very different one in a lot of ways. I'm curious, you know, what stood out to you most on um, the differences between this and the previous ones you attended? Well, the most obvious one was the intense security um, and also the absence of a, a huge crowd on the National Mall. <clears throat> uh, but uh, what really stood out was the fact that uh, President Biden, I think, gave a very inspiring and very genuine speech in a very difficult moment in our in our history. Uh, the pandemic, the economic uh, erosion, the challenges in terms of just a week ago, that very site was being overwhelmed by terrorists, if you will, attacking the, the Congress and its constitutional duties. So he's assuming a responsibility at a critical time, and I thought he gave, as I said, a very inspiring and a very genuine speech. You've known Joan Biden for decades. You served 20-ish years together in the U.S. Senate. You know, what? You, most of viewers will not ever know him as a person. You have known him as a person. What is he like? What is he like as a human being? Uh, he is a very decent man but to begin with, uh, and he's come through life in very difficult challenges. You know, he lost his wife and daughter. He had just been elected to the Senate. He's, he's, he lost his son, Bo, who I've visited in Iraq uh, when he served there with the Delaware National Guard. And so he's had some difficult, challenging times. And I think that allows him to relate to the average person, the, the, the guy on the street, because, you know, he's been through things. He's recovered. Uh, he comes from a you know, background from Scranton, Pennsylvania. Uh, which he's never forgotten about, you know, uh, a middle class family or struggling to get into the middle class and move up and uh, a generally decent, honest, thoughtful, uh, compassionate person. So he talked a lot about unity. Obviously, that took on extra meaning today with what's been happening in recent weeks. But we also know, you know, part, Congress is a partisan institution and Democrats have their priorities and Republicans have different views on a lot of those policies. I mean, you know, is it just pablum? You know how the Senate works. Are there places you think unity could lead to actual action and, and, and legislative activity uh, with the two parties working together? Well, I think so. In fact, it must lead to positive action. Uh, and one of the challenges any president has is to mobilize that kind of support, uh, even with, a, you know, a majority of four or five or six uh, votes. You still need 60 votes to get through uh, substantive legislation with rare exceptions. So you have to build that up. He understands that. He served in the Senate. He was vice president, instrumental in many of the negotiations on behalf of President Obama with the Senate because of those ex that expertise and those skills. But the other audience he was starting to do was the American people. And frankly, uh, part of the president's responsibility to get things done is to mobilize the support of the American people, because, you know, my colleagues and I will, will have to and must, and that's part of our responsibility to listen to our constituents. And, and also, he has to make the case that this is in the best interest of, of us all. It's not, not for him a partisan issue, not for 
Republicans or Democrats a partisan issue. This is moving the nation forward. So we'll talk about the Senate. 4.30-ish, uh, I think they're going to swear in the new senators and Kamala Harris will break the tie and that'll put Democrats in uh, tenuous but real control of the chamber. Um, first of all, you know, at that point, are you the armed services chairman? When are you, when do you, get, or when are you handed a gavel and actually get the job? It's a very difficult because uh, at a 50-50 Senate, even with our, the vice president, uh, you still have to negotiate sort of the rules of the road. Uh, this happened once before in my tenure when Senator Daschle and Senator Lott had to negotiate a, uh, a deal, if you will, and they did. Those negotiations are still going on. So it's, I must confess it's not exactly clear when the, the official functional transfer of authority or responsibility takes place. I hope it's soon. Uh, because uh, we have lots of business to do. We have nominations to pursue. Uh, and I must say, and I appreciate very much that the cooperation and the relationship that Senator Inhofe, the uh, chairman at, at the moment, and I have shared have been very, very beneficial, I think, to get the process done. And he's a gentleman and he's a thoughtful, decent person. I saw you even let you use the gavel briefly the other day uh, to give you a little test. He was trying, he was giving me a little to training. He was giving me some training. He's on, on the OJT, as they say. Uh, <laughs> important. But he's, no, he's, again, uh, we, we, and I've had that experience with John McCain, too, where we, in fact, I, I saw Cindy McCain this morning, uh, and uh, we had an opportunity to share some memories of John and, and he, too, was um, someone who was very thoughtful and very, you know, very considerate and also, you know, viewed uh, our responsibilities, particularly on service commission, on a committee, rather, as being for the benefit of the men and women in uniform and the nation that they serve. So um, you announced this morning, as candidly, I expected you probably would in the end, that you are going to uh, get on board with President, President Biden's uh, pick for defense secretary. Can you briefly just summarize why we have talked about before, but why you came to that conclusion? And then when do you think there'll be a vote on it? Well, that's one of the issues that's up in the air. We, you know, we, uh, we, we don't know quite the organization when I might become chairman. And so we're talking with Senator Inhofe. I mean, as the days go on, I think the, 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 the momentum is to build up is to have a vote on the waiver so that we can move formally to the nomination. Um, I believe General um, Austin will receive very strong bipartisan support, frankly. Um, uh, so it's, it's hard to say, but basically um, the compelling issues, are just the severity of the crises that the president is facing. Uh, the pandemic is the number one objective, but the Department of Defense plays a, a significant role in that. In, in fact, the logistics is being run by General Perna, who is a four-star, and the military has to play a role to make sure it, it gets out. The National Guard, as we've seen in Rhode Island, has done a remarkable job helping out. So that's one issue. But then if you look across the globe, the longer we have a gap in our leadership, the more our adversaries might exploit it, take advantage of it. We're also, we've endured over the last months, the biggest security breach a cyber attack by the Russians, which has military uh, uh, complications as well as civilian. And we have to, again, get, get a full national security team in place. 
and that's I think the the motivating factor. This is this is not a time where you could say, well, you know, it's a normal period of time, and we don't need either the General Austin or anyone in that position right away. We we need a Secretary of Defense. The other thing is, of course, uh, Rhode Island's own governor is uh, going to be in your neck of the woods, uh, get, trying to get confirmed. Uh, she's her hearing now scheduled for next week. The, I'm getting the question constantly, Senator Reid. How long will it take? When will the transition happen around? I know that's not your committee, and you're you're usually right. hesitant to predict. But do you have any sense from what you're hearing about the floor and everything? How long you think it could take before she gets to a confirmation vote if it gets there? Well, I think there's uh, there'll be great. Uh, pressure to get all the president's nominees completed. I think Senator McConnell, the Republican leader, understands that it is a, a presumption that a new president, in order to begin the administration, you know, there's certain deference to getting these confirmations done. One of the complicating factors is the pending impeachment. If that begins, then our rules basically restrict us to impeachment activities alone. That's, I think, part of the negotiations right now between Senator Schumer and Senator McConnell. Will, will there be opportunities uh, to conduct the sort of normal business in addition to the impeachment responsibility? So um, I, her hearings next week, I suspect she's going to do a superb job. Uh, and I think also that they will try to move rapidly. But around here, rapidly, particularly in this context, might not be a day or two. It might be longer. Yeah, rapid isn't always the same meaning in Congress as uh, right. some of us. No, that's unfortunately, and again, we're, we're we're not at a period of time where, you know, this is a tranquil world and a tranquil uh, nation. All right, Senator Reid, thanks always for making the time. Thanks, Ted. If you missed our discussion on where things stand with a vaccine rollout on the first half of the program, you can catch it right now on WPRI.com or by subscribing to our podcast. I want to thank you for watching. I'm Tim White, and we'll see you next week on Newsmakers.